Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. We're finishing out Paralympics Month with a chat today with Mohamed Lana, who took bronze in Paratri at the Rio Games, but is competing in paracycling in Tokyo. Except, here's the thing, that's not the craziest thing he's ever done. We talked to him about doing the epic six-day marathon to solves on crutches, climbing from the lowest point to the highest point on every continent, and what it's like to do massive swims like across the Strait of Gibraltar while missing a limb. Mohammed was born without a femur on his right leg, and he grew up in Morocco without a lot of options for being active. It wasn't until he was in his 20s that he got his first real prosthetic and biked across the Atlas Mountains, and he hasn't stopped since. But first, before our amazing talk with Mohammed, we chat with our European correspondent, Tim Hemming, who is in Slovakia covering the first ever Collins Cup. He explains what that is, what to expect, and why there were so many last-minute changes in the lineup. You can watch all the Collins Cup racing live on triathlete.com this Saturday. All of that after this break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but to content across all our network brands like Backpacker, Velo News, Outside Magazine, and Trail Runner. With an annual membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, two Velo Press books, a library of resources like yoga journal meditation classes and clean eating meal plans, gear and event discounts, access to Gaia GPS dozens of training plans through today's plan software and a free finisher picks package each year all for just 99 dollars. this is the world's best resource for training nutrition know-how and how to join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus that's outside plus one word dot com All right. This week, we're joined by Tim Hemming, who is uh, covering the Collins Cup for us. We call you our European correspondent, but only if your PCR test comes through in time, right? That's the the big question in the COVID era. Oh, Kelly, tell me about it. Yeah, that is the big <laughs> thing. I know we've got, what's the time? 6, 6 p.m. here. My flight's 10 a.m. tomorrow. I'm waiting on the negative PCR test to come back. <laughs> Otherwise, it's plan B, plan C, plan D. You know how it goes. Yeah, oh. I mean, oh, we're going to talk, obviously, about all the last minute changes to Collins Cup. And part of it is definitely because of all this COVID stuff. I mean, it's just hard to to make sure everyone gets on their flights, gets there, is able to be there, that kind of thing. I think there's a lot, a lot of it is to do with that. I feel the pain of some of the athletes and some of the PTO guys at the moment. Yeah, to actually to actually travel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> travel outside your own country. That novel concept. I know. And it's harder for us, obviously, coming from the US because of all the reasons. So many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so many reasons. <laughs> All right, so that's going to is... make the gag about passports then. But I know you, <laughs> most of you have passports now. <laughs> we have passports; it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this weekend is the inaugural Collins Cup. We've been talking about it. I mean, in the triathlon world for four or five years now. Forever. Finally happening. Forever. Yeah. Oh my god! Like knock on something. Finally happening this Saturday. Yeah. So can you explain it to us? Can you give us the 60 second, what is the Collins Cup? Uh, well, first of all, you're so right. We have been talking about it for ages. I remember speaking to Charles Adamu, the chairman, back, must have been like 2015 or something, six years yeah. ago, when he came in with a PowerPoint presentation about what this thing was going to be. And from the get-go, I'll be honest, I liked the concept. So I've always been a bit of a fan behind it. And whether it will deliver and whether it will be successful, we'll see. But what it is, uh, in a nutshell, head-to-head-to-head racing. USA, 
versus Europe versus the rest of the world or the internationals. So you have got 12 matchups, six men's, six women's, and it is essentially just that head-to-head. Whoever wins takes the points or takes 2.1, yeah, 2.1 point or 3.2 points, one point. And then there are also some bonuses if you cross the line six minutes ahead, four minutes ahead, two minutes ahead. You tally up all the points at the end. Whoever has the most points wins the Collins Cup. Whoever, whichever region has the least points, they get the uh, award they're calling the Broken Spoke Trophy. That's it. So that's it. Done. That's Done. It. Simple. Done. Simple. Well, not quite so simple, but yeah. <laughs> uh, middle distance. Well, not quite middle distance. So 100 kilometers, two kilometers swim, uh, 80 kilometers bike, and 18 kilometers run. So you can do the math on that for the miles, but um, that's to, to make it easy to understand for Europeans in kilometers, 100 kilometers. Yeah, it's what we saw at Daytona. So it's a little bit shorter than the half distance, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in Slovakia in Samarin, which is the ex-bionic sphere, which for people that follow the sport, the Challenge Championship has been there for a few years. And the Challenge Championship, which is just like any normal middle distance race, is taking place on the Sunday. Collins Cup is on the Saturday. And so obviously the big thing is that there are these teams. So like Team US has six men, six women. Team Europe has six men, six women. Team Internationals, which is a terrible name, has six men, six women. <laughs> so and, yeah. and then and then like you're saying, there's head-to-head matchups. So yeah. each yeah. team then picks their person. And so it could be like Jan versus Lionel versus Sam Long, right? Oh, then that would be a crazy race. But basically you have one, per- like yeah. one person from each team go up against each other. And that's going to happen via like a drafting, right? Like we're going to... The yeah. team captains are going to draft who gets to go up against who. It's a whole thing, right? Like that's happening Wednesday. That's night? happening Wednesday with the opening ceremony, which you can tune into and watch. That's <laughs> going to be broadcast live. That's ex- you've exactly hit the nail on the head. That's what's going to happen. So unless the team captains get together, there's, a, there's a, a male team captain and a female team captain for each of the teams. We've got six captains in total. Unless they get to head, get together beforehand, and kind of decide that they're going to say, okay, let's put let's let's race these guys against each other. In theory, at least it comes down to that draft where, let's say, USA in match one, USA picks first, then Europe, then the internationals. In match two, Europe picks first, then the internationals and USA, and it and it goes round and round like that as a snake draft, as we call it, for the twelve matchups until they have it all laid out. So. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bit of strategy involved in terms of picking. It's not all done out of a hat. And if, for example, Europe pull pick Jan Fredino first up, first match, and the other two have to decide who's going to go against him, then they can then decide whether they put their strongest or their weakest competitor against him and, and see how it plays out. It would be, it would be, a, I mean, obviously we've all been speculating, but it would be kind of an interesting, like you sacrifice somebody to go against Jan and then you save your stronger people for the other matches that is all part of the strategy yeah because you in theory you say well that's a good strategy but actually if yarn beats your weakest racer by six minutes then he gets another i think one and 1.5 bonus points for that which is almost as much as he gets for winning the race anyway so right. actually if by sacrificing someone you may be digging yourself a deeper hole so there's a little bit of thought to be put into it and we'll, we'll, we'll see but the other thing is i don't necessarily think the captains will know who the strong 
and weak mm-hmm. athletes are here because we're coming into it at a time where we've had a lot of racing. We've got a lot of racing come up. We've had Lionel's just done an Ironman in Copenhagen, for example, right? How's he going to pull up through that? Is he going to be one of the stronger, stronger links for the international team, one of the weakest? So there's, there's all those. How's travel going to affect people coming in? How's mm. the, the stress of getting through sort of negative COVID tests going to, going to work out? I mean, there's it's a lot to think about. I don't necessarily, I think we could have some surprises, which is going to be, uh, which would be good. No, yeah, it'd be good for me. Because obviously the the non-surprising thing is that Europe is the overwhelming favorite and will probably win. So it'd be nice to have a few surprises here. That that's the narrative, right? Europe yeah. Europe is super, is very very strong. But if if you look at it, I think there's some holes that you could potentially pick, right? You could say Patrick Langer and Joe Skipper, who are both in the European men's team. They're, they're iron distance specialists and over over a half distance, they've got really poor records, which they have. They could get taken down by some of the specialist men from both the internationals and, and the USA. And if you look at the men's on the international and the USA side, the likes of Ben Canoe, the likes of Kyle Jones coming up, New Zealander, Kiwi up and coming. Those guys are quick, you know, and so actually they could take some points off Europe there. And on the women's racing, yes, Europe, Europe's women do look really strong. But from, it's, from, it's but Daniela, from, Lucy, I, I know, Holly. I know, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think we did I, did. I put out one tweet, which was like, there's 11 world titles here and all of them are with Europe. Right. Uh, something along those lines. However, USA women, you have Katie Safiris, you have Taylor Nibb. I don't know if you've seen Taylor Nibb seems to be in quite good form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think those two in particular—they're the—they're the wild card picks, which we didn't quite discuss, did we? we? It went off the rankings, the top four on the rankings for each sort of territory, and then there was there was there was two wild card captains picks. Yeah, to I mean, make, so like to you make kind up of the six, make yeah. it up. I mean, like you kind of said, there's been a lot of changes this week. So each team, there were four men and four women picked via the ranking system, which is a whole other conversation. I know people have some issues with the rankings but they are what they are and then there were some captain's picks but now there's also been all these swap outs um like alt with the there are alternates coming uh and then there were some changes because people i mean it sounded like some people turned down a spot because they want to focus on kona which is unfortunate now and then some people couldn't make the travel work or they had like a personal issue so there's been a ton of changes this week it's it's literally even been hard to follow yeah, it's been a bit, I think it's been a bit unsettling perhaps for the, the PTO. I think the, the main changes that we have is Heather Jackson pulled out of the USA's team as a, as a, as a pick and she's been replaced by Jocelyn McCauley. And also on the US team, we've had Chris Lieferman who's pulled up injured. So Andrew Starkovitz is going to race instead of him. Those, those two are the, are the changes. And then we have a bunch of replacements ready to go if somebody else, um, if somebody else pulls out. But that's, I think the PTO, probably didn't give enough probably definitely didn't give enough enough thought ahead of time to actually there may be some need for replacements because people Mm -hmm. may get injured people may not be able to travel and so perhaps it's been a little bit of a last that minute scramble and that's fine for some of the european races i mean just touch base with Fenella langridge who's an alternate or replacement currently for the european team that's okay because she's going already to race on the sunday in the championship so for her that's fine she can just shift her focus to the saturday if need be much more difficult for like you were saying someone like Haley Chura who gets a late invitation to race for the USA and has to fly halfway around the globe. Right. I mean, she, I think is, she's the U S alternate and she, I think made plans like yesterday, right? Like it's crazy. And, and then we know like Je- Jeannie uh, Metzler, I was going to say Seymour, Jeannie Seymour, Jeannie Metzler. 
I literally, I think her sister-in-law got on a plane with Jeannie's passport, flew from South Africa, handed the passport to her in D.C. so that she could, like, I mean, it's crazy stuff. That is the, I spoke to Charles Adamo, as we mentioned earlier last night, he told me that exact story. So it looked like Jeannie, South African, based in the States, trying to fly to Slovakia, looked like she wasn't going to be able to make it. Her passport that was up for renewal was somewhere stuck in South Africa. And exactly what you've just said, they managed to get a U.S. citizen to fly it all the way to, to, to Washington, where, where she picked it up. And, you know, and I think she's on her way. So <laughs> great, great news, because also her um, her husband is racing, right? Big Mets. Yep. Justin Mets. Yep. So the, the two of them. So that's, you know, hope they can have a nice family weekend there as well. <laughs> a nice family weekend. <laughs> a nice family weekend. I think the, the, the racing will probably be the least stressful bit of it for them there. And like you said, obviously, whichever team then wins uh, Europe, US or internationals gets the Collins Cup, which we think is is designed by Tiffany's, which I think is hilarious. And then the the losing team gets where does it go? Who gets to keep it? What the Collins Cup? Well, yeah, well, like does it well, like yeah. circulate? Yeah. So I think the the plan would be that they will go, they will move. So you will have this one's in Europe. You're then going to have the USA, and then you're going to have the internationals. Whether that's in, every two years, like as we talked about, you know, ahead of the call, mm-hmm. this is kind of based on the Ryder Cup, and the Ryder Cup is every two years. So will that happen? Will there be another Collins Cup or is this a one and done, right? I think these questions definitely, I think they're, they're so focused on delivering this one. They're not really sure. Like when it gets to Monday morning, they're like, well, what happens next? So I'm guessing, that, you know, the, the European captain, well, we've already given the cup to Europe. So we've got Norman Stadler or Natasha, Natasha Badman. I guess they just have to arm wrestle over who gets to keep the trophy okay. at the end of it, you know, and then they can melt it down or whatever if there's not another one. They can melt it down. <laughs> So it will be broadcast. Obviously, like you're saying, this is the big thing is like, what will that broadcast look like? And this is what we like been waiting five years for. It will be aired. There's a long list of places it'll be aired. And it's going to be a broadcast where, I mean, they're promising that it's going to have like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Captain speaking to the athletes, like earpieces, microphones while they're going. 100%. Like live power numbers. I think they're saying we're going to see. And then the head, the head to head races are going five minutes apart. So we'll be able to like cut between different races happening. Is there anything else that's like supposed yeah. to be really cool? Head to head races are going 10 minutes apart. So the women, it's, no, no, it's good. The women's go first, one o'clock central European summertime in Slovakia. So one o'clock local time, which, which is, I know is crazy fair, early in the USA. Well, it's 7 a.m. East Coast, 4 a.m. here in California. Okay. So I probably won't watch the start. Right. <laughs> The women go first. Every 10 minutes, another set of three go. And then after an hour, there's an hour it will take to, to, to clear all six women's matches. Then we get an hour's break and then the men mm. start. So you will have at some point all the athletes on the course at any at any one time. Um, and the men go off at three o'clock local time uh, and then they race through. And so that's kind of. Kind of, kind of how we are on the Collins Cup. Actually, depending on you know where you're listening to this, they've got quite a nice little drop down where you can you can pick your territory, pick your location, and then it will show you who's broadcasting it and what you can see, whether it's live or delayed or highlights or and what channel. Right, and I should say that one of those things is it will be the live stream will be on our site. You'll be able to watch the live feed on our site. We will have it up uh, by the time this airs. We'll have it up tomorrow so that people are ready, ready, like bookmark that page so they can watch it. But you can also get to it then from the Collins Cup website. It'll send you based on your territory to the appropriate place. Um, it'll be airing on Outside TV, which we're obviously partners with, and then we'll have their stream on our site. So. Yeah. So, and I think everyone should tune in at least for a little bit of this because it's either going to be absolutely fantastic, the best bit of triathlon broadcasting you have ever seen, because there's bikes around every. 
every race. There's they've uh, oh, they sent me some information about how much I don't know, technical term, but the bandwidth they're using, they're right. having to get stuff from the army and that kind of thing to make sure that it's so high. This is such high frequency stuff, so that you've you've kind of got all of that going on. There'll be a, probably an in-play running po- points as they go. So if, if you know, if, if Starkey's up the road and he's currently winning and he's more than six minutes ahead on the bike, then you'll have this sort of like in-play USA are winning. Da, 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 da. That at its best is how it will work. So you'll see the screen turn red if the USA are ahead or blue if the Europe are ahead. Otherwise, or it could just be complete and utter confusion. It could just be utter, utter, utterly confusing. And also there's, there is a risk with this that it could just be boring as hell, right? Jan right. Fredino is racing, you know, two, only two other athletes. Jan could be off and away on the bike leg and uh, there's no contest. He never sees them again. So, you know, and a foregone conclusion. Hope that's not the case, but who knows what's going to shake down. And that's why I think everyone should watch it for at, at least a little bit. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. And obviously, like I said, Tim's there covering it for us. So he's going to have uh, like the race story on Saturday, kind of let you know what's happening. And he's going to do a kind of a, a recap after of how it all went, you know, what comes next. So- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to getting over there. Uh, for, first trip to the X-Bionic Sphere and um, yeah, and catching up with a few of the athletes. Well, well, thank you so much, Tim. And we'll stay tuned for everything you've got coming from Slovakia. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me. All right, this week we're talking to Mohamed Alana, who's the bronze medalist from Rio in the paratribe, but then this time you're doing paracycling. But Mohamed, most importantly, you did escape from Alcatraz this past weekend, and I was there and I swam it, and it was so choppy and so hard, and I literally thought, how do people do this without a leg? Because you would get knocked all around. Like, how do you... It was it was a really rough swim. <laughs> so. Yeah, this year's swim was crazy. I didn't know where I'm going. I tried to like find a line. It was so very hard to see to sight. But um, I, I was so excited to be able to race. So I think that excitement overcome the the craziness <laughs> of the water. <laughs> Do, is it harder when the water's choppy? I mean, okay, so you were born without a femur, and we'll talk some about that. But uh, is it harder when the water's choppy to like keep your balance and stuff? Because I found it quite challenging. Yes. So um, I have I use one leg. Try to like kick with one leg, and it doesn't give you that balance with two legs. Right. So I'm always like leaning on one side. I think in the middle because I was using my leg so much. Try to lift my body to sides. I had like my a big cramp and I was like just stuck and swimming for like, I don't know, two minutes. But uh, yeah, when it's, the water is choppy, it's more challenging for me to be able to swim and keep a straight line. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Uh, yeah. But you've done all kinds of crazy things. You've even like swum the Strait of Gibraltar. So you're used to this. So it's fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> part of the game. <laughs> So you were, you competed for Morocco in Paratri in Rio, but then your category, and and it's it's very weird how not all categories are included for paratriathlon in the Paralympics. So you found out your category wasn't going to be included in Tokyo. So then you decided to try and reinvent yourself as a paracyclist, right? How hard is it to change sports? Like how much did you have to learn new things? I, I'm just trying to get a sense of like how tricky this is. Yeah, so... Um, so the IPC, the, the body that managed uh, Paralympics, uh, 
when they add a new sport, it's very hard to bring all the categories because every mm-hmm. medal event costs money. So triathlon was introduced in 2016, and they brought only half the categories uh, in according to disabilities. Uh, so in 2016, my category was in. It was a huge success. And then we went going forward for Tokyo, but halfway through the four-year cycle, my category wasn't there, PTS2. So I really want to go to Tokyo so bad. So I had to give cycling a, a try. That was my only shot. Uh, it was a t- different world. Like paracycling, it's very tough, very hard. And uh, it's totally different beast. Uh, as I had the last two years, I have learned so much about like cycling, cycling with one leg, all the technique mm-hmm. paracyclists use, a lot of learning about like fixing my bike, learning about the bike because they, they, they are focused on one sport and they make, they are so perfect with it. So I learned a lot. I wasn't able to make the USA team. I'm a little bit too slow for the USA team, but I got an invite to go for Morocco. So I say, why not? So I'm trying to do the best and uh, I'm going to Tokyo. Uh, I know like uh, that I'm going to Tokyo like three months now. So, um, I'm trying to make the the best of out of everything and uh, race against time, time trial. Right. Okay, you're doing the time trial. You're not doing the road yeah. race. Okay. So uh, I'm doing time trial and road, but my main focus is on time trial because uh, okay. I'm trying to prepare for the next triathlon season because I want to go back to triathlon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And when, so you said it was like two years is when you find out if your category is included or not. Do yeah. they like consult you guys? Do they tell you, or is it just sort of like you get a press release announcement and that's that? Oh man, it was a big shock. So I was, <laughs> I was, I was with the USA para triathlon team, resident team in Colorado Springs. Uh, we had the amazing squad training together. The USA para triathlon made a huge investment on this first resident team and nobody saw this coming out of the blue. Like we were preparing for world championship in Gold Coast. And it was a big surprise for everyone that PTS2 is not going. Um, I mean, you feel like it's the end of the world back then, but uh, after the shock, you build yourself and uh, you, you try to look forward. Uh, because I moved all my family from Colorado, from California to Colorado Springs for this specific program, for this specific goal. Uh, but things happened, and uh, we have to adjust as we go. Right. Yeah. So there was. So you were competing for the U.S. on like yeah. kind of their first national, yeah, paratriathlon team. Um, but now you're going back to Morocco because you were born in Morocco. You grew up in Morocco, yeah. right? But now you live in California. Yes. Okay. It yeah. seems like you're you're a world traveler. You just go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Born in Morocco, lived in France a little bit, moved to the U.S. My wife is born in China, lived in Canada, so it's all mixed. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how you kind of got into triathlons. You were born in Morocco without um, a left femur, but it wasn't even until you were around 20, right, that you got fitted with your first kind of like sport prosthetic. So were you able to play sports as a kid or, or what was that like? So in Morocco, uh, we don't have any organized, like for fa- like I was in, in a very modest neighborhood. So we just opened the door and play soccer with other kids. That was the, the only thing that we had. So I used to play soccer using crutches. So that was, that was the only thing that I was doing for so many years. Uh, I, I got introduced to swimming um, early, but it was like once a week. It wasn't something that uh, 
consistent because um, it's very hard to get in the swimming pool. So my parents just made me focus on my my school and uh, get a job and all that stuff. And when I was 24, uh, I got my first uh, like a regular prosthesis with a knee, which allowed mm-hmm. me to start cycling for the first time. And uh, I think that that freedom for me to be able to cycle, we went for a trip to visit Morocco in the Atlas Mountain, 500 kilometers. And just that event opened my mind. I just want to do more cycling. Uh, so I went to France again uh, for another trip. And then I met uh, an, an MPT there who, 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 who were talking about triathlon. And I just like clicked in my mind. They said, I need to do triathlon. And uh, I, I love the sport. I did my first triathlon in 2008 in Tunisia. Because back then, we didn't have any event in Morocco. So I had to travel right. uh, abroad, like mainly to Europe. And uh, yeah, I, I went full speed from 2008. I did my first sprint. And then in 2009, I did the Ironman Zurich. And uh, I just like, I love the sport and I still love triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because now Morocco finally, I mean, they got their first kind of Ironman 70.3 two years ago, right? Is yes. it? And I mean, I lived in Morocco for a little bit and I never, I don't think I, I would run around the neighborhood and I don't think I ever saw like anyone else running, right? <laughs> like it wasn't really a thing. <laughs> So is it is it booming now? Are people kind of like doing more triathlon in Morocco? Yes, yes. Uh, it's 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 growing very fast. And uh, we had like in the Olympics in Tokyo, we had the first uh, uh, participation uh, uh, from Morocco, Able Body. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's growing. There is more people. Uh, um, and I think people are more interested in, in long distance, more than short distance, the IT event. So I see like the 70.3 is, is going to have even more growth in the future, I think. All right. So you started out by riding across the Atlas Mountains. Uh, I think a lot of people don't really know where those are, but that's not an easy thing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really went from nothing. Like I literally, I didn't have a helmet. I was just <laughs> going on a bike. I have a photo with that, like, but I was so happy. It was a freedom, like because as I mentioned, I never. I was born in Casablanca, but I never went outside of Casablanca. I didn't know. I just saw Morocco in, on on the TV. So that first trip, it was a week of magic for me, like cycling for the first time, but also going to these amazing places in mm-hmm. in Morocco. And for me, it was like just one of the moments that I will never forget, like freedom, joy. And doing cycling for the first time, it's all in my memory. So you said that you kind of got then more into triathlon. The first prosthetic with like a knee was able to really help you cycle. How, I mean, it sounds like you had to get more equipment than in more equipment and kind of up your game. How yeah. hard is it to kind of get that equipment and, and go all these places? I would imagine it takes uh, money and connections, right? Uh, it's that, that journey itself, it's, 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 uh, it's you. So so back then, back then when I was in Morocco, they told me that I I could run, I couldn't run because I don't have a part of my hip socket. So mm. I'm not a typical amputee. So my the doctor and my the prosthetist say, don't try running; it's not good for you. So I went the route of racing wheelchair. So the, my first mm. triathlons, I did like uh, swim, bike, run, and the run part was in a wheelchair. And then uh, I got invited to this event in San Diego, uh, this triathlon organized by the Challenge Athlete Foundation. And uh, that was in 
in 2009. So I visited the US for the first time. I went to this event in San Diego and it's one of those events that still engraved in my memory because I went there. The first thing that I see a lot of little kids with their tiny blades running around, having fun. <laughs> it was just like, it's like paradise, like there. And I see all kind of disability, like uh, different ages. Everybody's having fun, trying cycling, running. And for me, just like, this is my place. So I just right. start, start talking to people and I start talking uh, to this uh, person, to this lady, called, her name is Sarah. And she didn't like, she didn't look like we have the same disability, but I was explaining her, her, my condition. I was born with the birth defects and the doctors. I'm telling her everything about my, my condition. And she told me, I have the same condition as you. And look, I can run. So it was a big shock for me because huh. I was, I spent like, I don't know, three years or four years trying to find the racing wheelchair. And now I could spend, I could have spent that energy to find like a running leg. So, so CAF helped me get my first running leg. I got my running blade from uh, CAF. Uh, it was Oser. And then uh, I started running again when I was 27 years old. And I, I remember I couldn't run more than 100 meters. I had to stop. And knowing that back then, I, I, was, I was physically active. I did triathlon as I did Ironman. But running for the first time required different muscles, different right. coordination. And I was so fit, but I couldn't run more than 100 meters before I had to stop. I was out of breath. But I really enjoyed it. And I kept, I kept building slowly. And uh, I remember I got my running leg end of Dece like December, November 2011. And then the first thing that came to my mind is this event in Morocco called the Marathon de Sable. Right. Which is, <laughs> that shit is crazy. It's like six days across the desert. Yeah, because I, I grew up watching that event every year uh, on TV. And then the first thing came to my mind is that event. I need to do that event. And I was so <laughs> naive because <laughs> it's so hard. So... Um, so my wife is a mechanical engineer. So we tried to build this device to help me run on the sand with my running blade. I did some training. I brought crutches with me just in case. And uh, I went there. And uh, so the first day we had like 32 kilometers. We have like three checkpoints. So I say, for sure, I'm going to be able to finish the first stage. There is no doubt. I'm still fresh. I'm going to be able to do it. So like, I don't know, 3K into the race, I found myself with the last people and I'm moving super slow. And I basically the pace of that race back then was these two guys just walking with their camel, setting the pace. They're walking. And if they pass you, you're out of the race. And I turn around, like I see them, like, I don't know, like <laughs> 500 meters. And I start crying like crazy. This is like, it's not even a, like 5K into the race. Um, and the reason is because you're carrying all your food for seven right. days, your gears, like for seven days, for, for sorry, for six days. And also the terrain was changing dramatically and the height, like I have to compensate so much to move my, my leg forward. Uh, so 
the race director came to me, tried to console me, say, yeah, you're brave enough to try, blah, 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 blah. I, said, I don't need this stuff right now. I, <laughs> I Let me focus. And so, as I mentioned, luckily I brought my, my crutches and I told myself, I'm just going to use the crutches and see where I can go. So I, I picked up a little bit of pace. I made it to the first checkpoint and I was still on, on the race and I kept doing that the rest of the the race for six days and i was so able to crushed, finish you with crushed crushes. yeah yeah, yeah the days. whole time yeah i'd say it so so in that race you see every night all all the runners they will go to the medical tent they because they have like uh, blisters in their right. foot and i would go i have blisters in my hands and my foot like i was like i can't do anything <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, my understanding is for amputees in that race, like the sand, because there's just sand everywhere, and the sand gets into like the, like where your prosthetic connects and like rub, like it's just terrible, right? Yeah, it was, it was what, it's until today is the hardest thing that I I have ever done. It's still, it's still there. (laughs) Okay, but that, so you were like, I have to do this now that I can run, and then you ended up crushing the whole thing. So did you, have you been back since, or did you just do it that, that one time? I, I did it one time. It, okay. It's so brutal. It's so brutal <laughs> for me. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to go again. <laughs> if I did, if I didn't finish, I will go again try to finish it. But I finished it, and that's it. I, 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 like I, I, I said, yeah. <laughs> oh man, back before COVID, they invited me to come do that, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds really it's, hard. It's, it's really worth. It's it's more than a run. It's like it will it will take you with your with your mind with your soul to places that you've never been like because okay. there's the straight line nobody and you go slow and you will go so deep in in your soul like you will go <laughs> to some very deep places <laughs> okay okay it's worth but you doing. it's worth doing all right i'll put it on my list <laughs> <laughs> But you were able to obviously actually also continue running and improving, right? So now you, I mean, now you can run more than 100 meters, clearly, right? You can run pretty far. Um, And you also, I mean, that's not the only crazy thing, though, you've done. You did, like, this 400-mile race across. You were the first adaptive athlete to do Norseman, which we all know is, like, one of the craziest uh, triathlons out there. You also got really into mountain climbing, right? I've seen uh, all the pictures of you on, like, Akanag. How do you say the name of that mountain? Akankagua. Aconcagua, uh, yeah. which is the highest peak in South America, right? Yeah. So, so lowest highest is a project that I'm doing with uh, two of my friends, Andre and Lucas, and the CAF supported us to go to do the lowest from to go from the lowest point to the highest point of each continent. So we started just before COVID. We started in South America around the Patagonia, and we cycled all the way to the to the to the park, national park of uh, Aconcagua, and then we climbed all the way to the top. So we tried to do this in each continent. So North America, Africa, Europe, Asia. Um, I feel like uh, Africa would be pretty hard, right? Because you have to go well, like Bali so, uh, to Kilimanjaro. <laughs> like, yeah, so Africa is going to be the easiest to okay. do, but it's very difficult in terms of security. We're planning to do it, but uh security wise it's it's 
it's going to be very challenging to manage uh, because uh, starting in Djibouti, going through Ethiopia and Kenya, especially Djibouti, Ethiopia, there is some conflict there. So we're trying, we're still trying to figure out the best way, safe way to go through that area safely. So it, it's physically, it's easier. It's going to be the easiest on all the, cap- mm. the, the continent, but uh, logistics and security is more challenging. Interesting. So what? So you've only done the South American one then, right? Yes. Before COVID. Okay. So yeah. now you're still trying to figure out all the other ones. Which one's the hardest one? Well, Everest. Everest is going to be the hardest one. <laughs> well, you need to like imagine like we have uh, Andre, his double amputee, and he climbed in Aconcagua on his arms. And oh, Lucas, Lucas is the least he's the strongest he's a mountaineer he's so comfortable with the mountain he, he was born with a birth defect uh, with his uh, left arm i believe but he's our our star when we go to the mountain uh so for me and andre is more challenging uh, uh so we see there is a lot of training to do north america is also going to be challenging we go from that valley all the way to the nali Oh, yeah. Denali. Oh, yeah. so, okay. So it's a it's a long term long term project. So we try to build it slowly, raise awareness. The the reason why we want to do this is we want to show like people with disability around the world they do they can be the take the initiative and do something never done before. That's the first thing. But also change perspective. Uh, in general, people like. It's not like we don't do things for fun or just do sport and we get a medal for it. We do stuff the hard way and we train very hard to achieve uh, elite level. So this is something that we want to share uh, with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's no joke. My husband and his friends wanted to do, I can never, they always call it Akinagwa, a Congo. And they, they, yeah, and they, uh, you know, have all their limbs and they gave up. So they have no excuse. (laughs) It, it was very challenging. I was yeah. throwing up in every camp. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's very high elevation-wise. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what of all of those things, because you've also swum the Strait of Gibraltar, what is what was the hardest thing? Uh, Marathon de Sable is the hardest yeah. part for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty brutal. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you all through all this, I mean, you're trying all these different things and then you came over to the U S and, um, to get your engineering degree in California, right? Have you found it? Like, is it a different vibe? Is it easier or harder to do kind of cycling and triathlon and running here versus Europe versus Africa? Or does, is it just, does it just, you know, vary depending on where you're at? I, I would say that depend on where you are in your stage of your life because mm-hmm. the maturity that you have I'm, I'm 39 right now versus when i was 20 it's not the same uh, I, there is this 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 short story because uh back then in morocco uh i didn't i, w- I wanted to cycle but for me back then the knowledge that i had i need the i need the processes with the need to be able to cycle so mm-hmm. that thing was the the barrier for me to do that step. Right now, I cycle. I, I was able to find a leg and cycle with the prosthesis. But right now, all my cycling is w- with one leg because it's faster, it's more efficient, and I'm stronger with one leg cycling. Hmm. So 
the knowledge that you get over time and how you can overcome challenges sometimes can can block you from doing things so uh, I think if you want to do something and you want to do it badly, you can find your way anywhere. Uh, I, I would say here in the U.S., we have all the resources that we need. We have the community. We have the knowledge. We have the equipment that we want. We have the latest technology. Uh, we are so privileged here to have all the resources. So we just need to make a little bit of effort to do the things. Right. Uh, Maybe a little bit more challenging in Africa. But I think... Uh, between Europe and here, we are more here. We are so advanced. People are always striving to find solutions. And I'm talking about also in general, but also specifically for people with disability. There is a lot of resource in terms of equipment. Organization like the Challenge Athlete Foundation help us get all the equipment that, they, that we need, but also the community. Uh, the Challenge Athlete Foundation is not just a, a foundation that provides grants, which is very, very important to buy equipment or have training or travel for events, but also this massive network of expertise. You have all these people with different disabilities, the parents that they have kids with new uh, with disabilities, veterans, we share knowledge, how to approach things, how to start cycling, how to start skiing, how to start surfing. And it's an amazing network, and I and I encourage everybody to join this 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 organization. They are based in San Diego, but they are everywhere in the U.S. They are, it's an amazing organization. Do you guys do you train together a lot with other athletes from uh, CAF? So yeah, so they are everywhere. So uh, we do like here for for example in in North California here we try to do like a, a group ride once or twice a month where we gather uh, some other group they do basketball together or racing like a racing wheelchair so we have those small communities but also we have those clinics for uh running or rock climbing that the caf with partners like also that they organize throughout the u.s where we bring uh, athletes with expertise athletes who go into the olympics or they have high level but also with parents who have kids or veterans or people who just got unfortunate accident and we show them the way how to start the active life because uh, being active is good for everyone uh, to stay healthy, have a good lifestyle. But for us with disability is more important because it, it will, it will limit our time at the hospital because being active with disability will keep you longer away from going to the hospital for other treatment and other stuff. So it's, it's, it's even even more important for us to encourage uh, people with disability to do anything that they love, like anything that keep them active, take them outside and be part of the society. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, uh, it, it seems like there's more and more people in triathlon, right? More and more paratriathletes. We see that like yeah. more and more people all the time. And it sounds like you also work with a lot of kids and stuff and getting them out, right? Yeah. So uh, because I have this, this birth defect. Uh, um, so it, it, sometimes here in the U.S., parents, when they have kids like me, they have options. Like we can amputate mm-hmm. the foot, for example. We can do this surgery where they flip the foot to use it as a knee. They can do this hip surgery to fix. There is all these options. And what I'm one of those rare cases where I'm just like I was born. There is nothing and no surgery. <laughs> so 
I, I get a lot of uh, parents who are asking, what is like? What is the perspective? What do you recommend? And I just try to explain to them, like, there is this way, there is this way, there is this way, the convenience and the ups and downs of each way, each case, and just mm-hmm. they make the best decision. And it's good to see those all those situation will work at the end. We just need to make a decision and go for it. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, which whatever works for you, right? Yes. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and you're now obviously in the U.S. and you were competing, like you said, uh, for the U.S. national team in paratriathlon. Uh, but now you're going back to competing for Morocco. So do you just compete for both countries? Like, do you have to pick? It feels kind of awkward, right? difficult yes it, it's kind of awkward and uh, for me for a, for a while i didn't feel good about it uh i got this 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 uh this uh, uh opportunity to go to race uh because after i didn't make the team for the usa team in cycling uh for me i think the journey was was over i just mm. like focus on something else and prepare for the future um i got this opportunity to race for morocco uh in, in cycling and for me, Morocco and USA, they are they are who I am. I'm I'm ha- I'm like I'll say half Moroccan, half American. I'm very <laughs> proud of both. So I di- I didn't want to turn it down because I spent like 27 years, my first right. 27 years in Morocco. So I spent more time there than here. I still want to compete for the USA because uh, I I love this country. My kids, I have three kids that are they are here, American, and uh, I I want to go back. So after Tokyo. We're trying to build again the the ITU schedule and try to race and go up the ranking. I lost so many points in the ITU ranking, um, so I need to get up to speed. And I hope I hope my category will go for Paris. We we'll see. I things change, but uh, at least want to have like one or two season with the USA Para Triathlon. Okay, and then um, build your ranking back up because it's like a two-year process, right? To like build your points back up, and then you'll find out your category, and then maybe, Paris. maybe, maybe not, yeah, <laughs> right, right, we'll, okay. We'll, we'll give it a full shot. I really like the USA Para Triathlon, uh, um, like the board, uh, like its management is really is really good um, uh, family for me. Um, so I want to go back and and race with them again. So uh, you're leaving for Tokyo in like a couple days, right? Like tomorrow or the next day. Oh, Monday, 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 Monday. Okay. Yeah. So what all? Uh, what's kind of gone into your preparation for Tokyo? Kind of how? There's a lot of paperwork. I know a lot of logistics, and then there's also a lot of equipment you have to get over there. Are you ready? I'm not my my <laughs> bike is still in the bike shop right now. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for some parts. Uh, it, it, this year was very challenging. So we have the first thing you have, like you need to come to Tokyo, to fly into Tokyo maximum seven days before uh, right. your first event. And you need to leave within 48 hours from your last event. And so that was like the flying the schedule. And also you need to have a lot of testing. You need to, you need to have like at least two COVID tests, one within... 92 hours and one within 72 hours i don't know I, I, like so you need to have these two you need to install like five apps on your phone with tracking and upload all the tests in there and for cycling even though we're going to tokyo we're not going to go to the paralympic village the main village we're going to go to a different location near fuji we're going to have the race venue 
so we're going to be separated from all the fun parts and all the fun stuff. So we're just going to go. So, uh, I mean, uh, cycling, when we go cycling, normally you qualify for like four event track, two track events and two road events. But for me to make things simple, I just choose time trial and road racing. Mm. So traveling with two bikes. I, I, when I was a triathlete, I thought triathlete, they traveled with a lot of gears. But cyclists, like it's another, it's different beast. Like I think they traveled for two triathletes in one time. Like <laughs> So... <laughs> Uh, uh, so yeah, I'm trying to organize all this stuff, uh, and see, see how, how it goes. Uh, I'm literally going to see, uh, I don't want to finish last on the time trial, uh, okay. and, uh, I'm racing against myself and I'm very positive that, um, um, I will, I will do good because, uh, I have some consistent workouts last, last three months. Um, I have a new bike. CAF helped me get a, a new bike from Specialized. So I have the TT Shiv. So I'm, I'm very excited to use it. I didn't have the chance to ride it yet. So I think today oh, no. is the first day. <laughs> uh, the whole like no, nothing new on race day. We're, forget that. Oh, like, I mean, I, 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 got, I got the qualification notice three months ago. Right. And... It's very hard to get parts or bikes right, right now. Yep. Like impossible. It was uh, it was like a dramatic three months to try to find a bike. So I'm I'm grateful for all the people out there that helped me finally get there. Yeah. Well, that'll be that'll be crazy. And uh, and then it sounds like you're already making plans for after. You're going to come back to triathlon afterwards, right? Yes. So coming back, coming back on on the third of August and flying, I'm driving with my family to Idaho. I don't know if you heard of this race called Smoke and Fire 400 miles. Yeah. It's like a 400 so, mile bike race or something, right? So I'm doing that like <laughs> right after. <laughs> so, because I went last year and I wasn't able to finish. It was so hard because you need to carry all your stuff. And uh, so this year, I want to finish it. I think I'm going to be in a good shape. I have the right gears, the right equipment. So I'm arriving here the third, driving there on the fifth, and try to do it. Uh, we see how I'm going to do. Okay. All right. How much do you train? I mean, you also have like another job too, right? Like how much do you train in a regular week for all of this? So we, we for the Paralympics, we try to be very specific for 24K. Mm-hmm. So I had like on average like two hours per day with with one day off. So that was that was like just very specific intense for the twenty four k. So yeah, okay. two hours, roughly two hours per day. Yeah. And then obviously you'll start after you're done with this four hundred mile race. You'll start adding swimming and running and the running back yeah. in. Yeah. I I went to Alcatraz without any swim training. Oh God. <laughs> Did you make the cutoff? You made the like because it's like a hard cutoff on the swim. No, no, I I made it surprisingly. <laughs> I think yeah, it was good. I don't know what was my. I was like basically so. In two thousand in two thousand sixteen, I did Alcatraz, and I in the swim, I went way off the right, way off. Like I went so in to the left, and it was so long. I did like forty nine minutes or so, I think, and surprisingly. 
this past weekend I did it at the same time. That's not bad. This weekend was like very, very slow. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, did, very yeah. slow. <laughs> so I, I was so happy with it. Like without swim training, I was able to pull this. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 49 minutes. I mean, there are some pro women run doing like 40 minutes. So yeah, it's not yeah, a. I, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're going to get back on the IT. Well, we're not calling it ITU anymore, but world triathlon scene, right? So yeah. then you're going to start hitting all the world triathlon races again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I believe I, I did both long distance, Ironman, Norseman, and sprint. And I think that racing sprints, like truly sprints, is very hard. It's harder than Ironman because when you get to that level where you can, uh, for example, like Ironman, I went there. And I had a good advice from someone. He said, don't follow other people. Like, just do your thing. Find your pace. Especially especially the swim starts, the, the, the bike starts, or the run start. That is where people make a lot of mistakes. They go all hard. They're excited. Mm-hmm. And they go all hard. They burn very fast into the race. So just pace yourself on the bike and the run, and you will finish Ironman. Like, just be smart about it. Have a good nutrition plan. And pace yourself. You will be able to finish sprint is really hard to like do full gas for an hour 10 minutes for me all out i still can't i think i had like in in my 10 years career doing itu event i think i had one or two events where i think that i truly did sprint the way it should be okay and i don't know how many races i uh, itu sprint i did so i'm still trying to chase that 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 feeling when you finish regardless your regardless your position where you finish the the sprint race and you say yes i left everything in, on that race that's a perfect race if you still have energy you're still talking you're still walking <laughs> you didn't do a sprint Okay. So you want to be like collapsed, like the photo of the men's Olympic race where they were all on the ground, like vomiting after that's what you're looking for. That that's a true sprint. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the people who do the the track, they do the kilo or the the pursuit. They can't, they can't walk after they finish. And that's when you deplete all your energy, all your effort on a sprint. And, and it's very hard. It's very hard to, to get there. Yeah. I'm still true. chasing that. I'm not there. Okay. I'm not there yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's what we're looking for for you in the future. And we'll like keep our eyes on Paris 2024, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So during the whole, this whole, this whole process of racing, I have this friend from the USA team. His name is Mark Barr. He's a great athlete. He went to three Paralympics in swimming and Rio in, 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 in triathlon. And he, he, he beats me in all the IT events, all of them. The only time that I beat him was in Rio. So he said, like, you beat me in the, the right race in Rio. But for me, I didn't beat him in any IT event. So my goal in the next three years is to at least beat him one time in the IT event. <laughs> so, so Mark, Mark Bar is my, 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 my friend. And we are we are really good friends, and this is we're going to this with with a huge challenge. Okay. So hopefully, yeah, I'm trying I mean, to keep myself accountable here. 
<laughs> everyone, everyone has that one friend they like ha- want to be, right? So. <laughs> yeah. So Markabot is mine. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, good luck with that. And we will be watching uh, in Tokyo. Um, we'll be sharing all the kind of information about the Paralympics uh, over the next week. It starts Friday the 23rd. No, Friday the... Th- yeah, Friday so, the 23rd. Yes. The, yeah, the, the, the time trial, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. But it's hard the, to keep track of all yeah. the different dates. The first event is going to be like in in the Paralympics in general, the twenty the twenty fifth. The opening summary ceremony at twenty fourth, and they start twenty mm-hmm. fifth, and cycling my event in thirty first. Yeah, got it. Okay, and then it's a day before here in the U.S. So yes, awesome. Well, good luck with everything, and thanks for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks to Mohammed and to Tim. There's a lot going on this weekend. Hopefully you'll be tuning in in between your own workouts. Keep listening and keep training.